so turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I'd invite you to go ahead and stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's start in verse number 1. <clears throat> Years ago, when I preached through 1 Corinthians, I kind of, you finish chapter 15, chapter 15 is such a, such a big chapter on the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection, and sometimes you get to the end of an epistle, and, and I, in my mind, I really thought that chapter 16 was going to be, I don't know how to say it, but, but a chapter I wasn't going to get a lot of material out of. And, and when I began to study through it, you know, just kind of as I felt my duty to work my way through a book, to be faithful to whatever was here, uh, there's some really good stuff here in chapter 16. I hope to be able to share some of it with you tonight. Here in verse number one, Paul says to the Corinthian church, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. <clears throat> and when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus come... See that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Let's pray together and we'll get into this tonight. Father, we thank you for this day and I thank you for this, just the privilege and honor and the joy it's been uh, that you've given to me to be able to be here with these dear people this weekend. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church. God, I pray that you would bless our time together tonight. Help me to speak, help me to speak clearly and plainly. And Lord, I pray that the truth and the, the thought that you want us to think uh, would be made evident. And God, I pray that you would accomplish your purposes in the minds and hearts of your people tonight. I just want to commit this time to you and trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. <clears throat> a church, and I, no doubt you found this to be true, a church has a tendency to be a pretty busy place. Um, I would imagine here, just like back home where I'm at at Hillcrest Baptist Church in El Paso, there's always something going on. And there's always something going on because there's a lot of important stuff to do. We believe as Christians that we have a responsibility to the Lord. 
Uh, we're to be serving Him with our life. So we look for opportunities to use our gifts and talents to serve Him. And so that creates a, a certain amount of activity in a church. Uh, we believe we have an or obligation, I should say, to one another, which I think is also part of what serving in the church and why serving in the church is important is because God called us to love each other, to serve our church family, to use our gifts and talents in the body as a member of that body. And so uh, just that concept causes us to be active. And I, I, I want to say my hat's off to you. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of church involvement here. I mean, the choir is full and sounds phenomenal. And there's people working in Sunday school classes and security. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of activity taking place. And that's how it ought to be. Uh, we believe we have an obligation to our community. For you guys, it's Tulsa. And, you know, the surrounding area. For us, it's El Paso. And we want to do all we can to make a mark on our city and on our community during the window of time that we're alive and that we're there. And you're doing that. And that's what we want to do in El Paso as well. But the question remains, what about beyond Tulsa? What about beyond El Paso? What are our obligations as a church or as churches, I should say, to regions beyond our walls, regions beyond just what we see in Tulsa and El Paso or wherever uh, you may be from. What about those regions? I remember being one time in a, a men's meeting uh, in our church, and I, I, I'm just kind of being honest with you. I hope nobody from Hillcrest is watching this because I'm not going to mention any names. But I remember being in a trustee meeting and one of our men, we got to talking about a mission work or a church planter or something of that nature. And this particular trustee, he said, what what business is that of ours? Let him do his thing out there. And we've got our stuff to worry about back here. We were trying to pay off debt and things of that nature. And, and I, I could feel what he was saying. I mean, we were trying to pay off our building debt and things of that nature. But at the same time, in the back of my heart, I know it is a dangerous mentality for a church to adopt to say, we've got our own problems. Let everybody else worry about theirs. Now, you know, we're, we're all comfort, comfortable or familiar, I should say, with the concept of missions and giving to missions and missionaries. And no doubt you're familiar with faith promise and the, the weekly giving that you do towards that, that cause. And that's a, a lot of that is actually adopted from this model that's talked about in Corinthians, both 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, but uh, what this passage begins to teach us about is gives us a very clear biblical precedent for a church that was being commanded by the Apostle Paul, who was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, to consider needs outside the walls of their own church. And that's very challenging to me as a pastor. I believe that was challenging to us as a church is to, uh, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, let's just kind of examine some of the things that the Apostle Paul talked about. In the first few verses of chapter 16, Paul is talking about a collection that was for poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, for us as Baptists, a lot of times we will use this offering as our model for faith promise. 
and, and justifiably so. We may talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. But to be very fair to what was taking place, the offering that they were giving was not for missions in the classic sense of the word. Whenever they were taking up this offering, it was because there were a bunch of Christians in Jerusalem who were starving to death. There was uh, poverty. There was a famine. There was all kinds of terrible stuff taking place. And so you had this church of thousands of people in Jerusalem that were, again, didn't have two nickels to rub together and were starving to death. And Paul felt Uh, burdened about that. Paul felt like he wanted to do something about that. And so you'll find this need being brought up numerous times throughout Paul's letters. He he spends a lot of time talking to the Corinthians. Uh, He mentions the Galatians. He talks in 2 Corinthians about the Macedonian churches, all these different churches that are out there. In fact, most of them that you recognize from different books of the Bible, Paul would go to these places that he himself had started a church and he would say, hey, there's a church down there in Jerusalem and they're struggling. They don't have enough money to put food on the table. They're uh, poverty stricken. And he would say, let's take up a love offering to help them. Now, a couple of interesting observations I think we should pick up about this offering that Paul was so big on that was going to go back to Jerusalem. Okay, so first of all, it was an offering to a group of people that the people in Corinth, most of them very likely didn't, had never met. They didn't know anybody back there. Furthermore, they would never probably meet the people back then. This is before the, the era of planes, trains, and automobiles, or FaceTime, or cell phones, or emails, or things of that nature. We're talking about a group of people that the Corinthians would, had probably never met and likely would never meet. We're talking about a need that would do absolutely nothing for the Corinthian church itself. It wasn't going to build a building. It wasn't going to help the ministries there. It wasn't going to help them start some new uh, children's thing at their church. It wasn't going to do anything for the Corinthian church. This was only a need that was outside of their own that would have absolutely no impact back on them, at least as far as in a very practical initial way. Furthermore, I think another interesting observation is the church in Jerusalem was primarily made up of Jews. And the church in Corinth was more than likely full of mostly Gentiles. The Jews didn't even like the Gentiles. I don't know exactly how the Gentiles felt about the Jews. But for the Jews, there was a time, you may remember the story where Peter goes to witness to the Gentile family, uh, Cornelius and all his family. And he gets heat whenever he goes back because they're saying, what were you doing having supper over at a Gentile's house? And this is in a Christian church in Jerusalem. I mean, they... There was a time there, kind of an overlap, where it was a taboo to even go over to a Gentile's house. So not only is this church in Jerusalem that they're being asked to give an offering to, not only are they a group of people that they'll never see, not only is their money they're giving going to do absolutely nothing for the Corinthian church, at least in a very tangible way, uh, but this is a group of people that for all intents and purposes doesn't even like them. Now, look, you can say, well, they're all Christians. They're all on the same team. I mean, look, I feel like, yes, they were all Christians. They were all on the same team, but I don't think they always acted that way. 
You may recall that a bunch, of, a bunch of Christian Jews showed up in the book of Galatians and they didn't want to talk to any of the people in the Galatian churches. They kind of huddled off to themselves and let all the Gentiles and Peter began to kind of come over and hang out with the Jews again because he didn't want to feel like he was a Gentile lover. I mean, we're talking about giving an offering to a group of people that, uh, again, they would never see again and that for all intents and purposes hadn't really been very nice to them. And didn't really like him. And yet, here is Paul saying, I want you to give to this. Corinthian church, you have an obligation to be a blessing to this church that you'll never meet. You have an obligation to be a blessing to this group of people that uh, uh, probably don't even like you. And that have probably been rude to you on more than one occasion. This is a big deal to Paul. He mentions it a number of times. The strategy that he begins to lay out is to lay up a little each Sunday between now and the time I come to see you. And that's kind of where we get some of our strategy for faith promise. He says, we're not just going to take up a one-time love offering. He says, I want you to save up just a little bit every week, and then there will be a bigger lump sum whenever it's all said and done. Give as God prospered you. Uh, I've got a whole nother message I like to teach out of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 where he says, uh, yes, give with your heart, but also with your head. You know, I mean, the idea, I don't think Paul wanted anybody going bankrupt in their giving to missions, but he says, give as God has prospered you. But again, I just want to make sure that to get across this to me is one of the main points of the whole sermon tonight that Paul was telling them there's this church here in Jerusalem full of Christians that you probably never met, many of whom uh, haven't been or won't be very kind to you moving forward in the future, uh, that you're never going to meet. They're struggling pretty bad right now. And just on the basis of Christian charity, you need to be a help to them. Like I said, and maybe like some of the, maybe like the trustee in our church, who's a good man, he just, he's very sharp with his money and he wanted to be careful. Just like him, there may have been somebody in the Corinthian church who said something like this, why should we help them? What have they ever done for us? <laughs> Which that's a whole, that's a loaded question in and of itself. We've got enough to take care of right here in our own church. And the Corinthian church did, by the way, they had all kinds of problems. Let them worry about our problems so that we can worry about ours. But that wasn't the attitude and the spirit that Paul wanted them to have. And again, I keep saying Paul, but Paul's under the inspiration of God's Holy Ghost. That was not the spirit and the attitude that God himself wanted the Corinthians to have. 1 John 3, verses 17 through 19, John says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need... And shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now look, John said it to individuals. Paul is saying that to a church. He's saying, hey, as a church, God has blessed you. And you know the old adage, Jesus said it, to whom much is given... Much is required. Now look, God has blessed Eastland Baptist Church. 
God has blessed Hillcrest Baptist Church. There's a lot that I walked into, and you know, every time I get introduced, uh, people say, and, and rightfully so, that uh, whenever I became the pastor, there was a bit of a mess at the church, and that's true. But there's a whole lot of good stuff I inherited as well. And there's a great ministry that's there as well. And that, what, what we have the ability to do as a church constantly weighs on what then I ought to do. What we ought to do. As God blesses, we are obligated to be a blessing to others. Churches ought to be helping other Christians out there that are hurting, hurting and struggling if they're able to. Our churches are not allowed to focus only on our four walls and nothing more. We are part of a bigger cause, a larger family. Now, I want you to notice what else he says in here. Not only does he expect the Corinthian church to be a blessing to another group of Christians down in Jerusalem they never meet. But Paul also talked to him about being a blessing to him. And that's kind of a funny thing, but you got to understand Paul was talking as a missionary. And throughout the course of the text here in verses 5 through 9, Paul says he was going to be passing that way and desired. He says, it's my desire that you would bring me on my way. Which in Bible terms is basically a way of just saying, hey, I'm a missionary and I need missionary support. Uh, you know, missionaries come through and uh, they present their need at a church. And generally speaking, that is the phrase that they're trying to get across to everybody. Is we need your help to bring us on our way. And I know that you know this, but I think it's just worth saying again that missionaries don't go to the mission field for free. They don't get there because uh, somebody on a foreign mission field called them to a job over there and is paying them to come start a church in Germany or wherever that they're going. They go there and it's very expensive. A lot of times they're not even able to live on the local economy. So they are required to raise support from churches just like ours. And Paul gave the Holy Ghost expectation on the church in Corinth that they had an obligation to support him, not just because he was their buddy, not just because he had started their church, but because he was in the work of the Lord. And he says, and your support of the work of the Lord, support me and bring me on my way. Paul was somewhat unique in that he mostly provided for himself, but nevertheless, he still apparently needed some support from these churches to keep going in the ministry. Note that Paul is not just some homeless guy. He's not some hobo, some beggar that's just needing some extra cash to get him down the road. We're talking about a guy who is involved in the work of the ministry and therefore to support him was a greater need than just feeding the hungry, quote unquote. Not that that's a bad thing to do. It wasn't just being charitable to some poor guy that had shown up on their doorstep for to support Paul was to support the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would seem from his words that he was currently in Philippi. You can kind of see some of these things in the end of the letter that Paul seems to have been in Philippi when he wrote this. He would soon be in Ephesus for Pentecost. 
So again, helping Paul wasn't just about helping some poor man. It was about helping and supporting the gospel ministry. It was yet another chance for the Corinthian church to contribute to a cause outside their walls. Kind of one of the main ideas of this whole chapter is Paul is getting the Corinthians to say, hey, we've been talking for 15 chapters about issues that are going on inside the Corinthian church. He says, I don't want you to just get consumed about what's going on inside your church. He says, you have a place, you have a role, you have a, 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 an obligation to fulfill outside the walls of the Corinthian church. Now, again, that's not just written to the Corinthians for us to be like, oh, I guess the Corinthians were supposed to think outside of their own four walls. That is written for churches just like Eastland and Hillcrest Baptist Church back in El Paso for us to go, hey, let's make sure we don't just get tunnel vision. Let's make sure that in our efforts to serve one another, in our efforts to serve our community, that we do not lose our place in the bigger picture in the world. That we have a a role to play in the broader work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Corinth, you have a part to play, not just in Corinth, but around the world. The cause of Christ is greater than just your four walls. The last thing that he talks about is he says, he says that they should be supportive of ministers. And I feel almost like this doesn't need to be said. I mean, here I am. I'm the recipient of much of your kindness in multiple ways. And truthfully, and I'm not just saying this because I'm standing here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. I mean, the way you treat a guy like me coming in here is humbling. In fact, it convicts me about how we're treating guys that come through. It's not like we just, <laughs> I don't know, it's not like we just kick them out the door or anything. But I mean, the level of hospitality that you have shown is significant. And again, I just want to say thank you for that. I mean, the nice place to stay, uh, blessing, uh, love offering, just the fellowship, even just the people coming and talking, the kids giving the notes and things of that nature. I mean, you guys really do a phenomenal job. I want to use this text to encourage you to keep that up because he begins to talk about Timothy and Apollos. He says, hey, uh, I can't come to see you right now, but Paul says to the Corinthians, but Timothy is going to be passing through there. Now, Timothy was a young pastor. Timothy was an intimidated kind of a guy. Timothy was, uh, he's one of the only guys that we read in the scripture uh, where Paul had to write and tell him he felt sorry for him because of his tears. You know, we know Timothy was kind of a tender hearted guy. And uh, he said, now look, when Timothy shows up, he says, I don't want you giving him a hard time. Now, the Corinthian church kind of had a reputation for sometimes giving preachers a hard time. In the very beginning of chapter one, there was all this division in the church because some guys would say, well, Paul's my favorite preacher. Apollos is my favorite preacher. Peter is my favorite preacher. Some were super spiritual and like, well, I just am a follower of Jesus. <laughs> And there are all these little sects and, and, and divisions and cells in the group that all had their own thing that they uh, said they were their favorite preacher. Paul says, now look, and, and I'm not going to go back and re-preach all what that was about. But he says in this particular says, look now, Timothy's coming your way. And whether you consider yourself a Timothy guy or not, whether he's your favorite preacher or not, he says, you be a blessing to him. Because, and notice the reason that he gives. He says it's not because he's a good guy. It's not just because he's a friend. 
It's because he is in the work of the Lord just like I am. The leverage that Paul uses to say, the reason you ought to be a blessing to this guy is not just because you feel sorry for him, not just because he's a young, tender preacher. The reason you ought to be a blessing to this guy is because he's involved in the work of the Lord. And if you want the work of the Lord to survive, if you want the work of the Lord to thrive, if you want to be on board and a part of the work of the Lord, then be a blessing to the people that are doing the work of the Lord. Again, what I love about this chapter is that over and over again, whether he's talking about the saints in Jerusalem or whether he's talking about a missionary like himself, the Apostle Paul, or whether he's talking about just ministers. He talks about ministries, missionaries, and ministers. And in all three of those, he's saying, hey, Corinthian church, make sure you're a blessing outside the walls of your church. Now, Paul's not your missionary. Timothy's not going to be your pastor. Jerusalem, that church probably never going to do anything for you. But you be a blessing to them. Isn't that the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ? Doesn't he teach us that the sooner we're able to forget ourselves and think outside of ourselves and be a blessing to people outside of ourselves, that that's really where life begins. Is that whenever we finally die to ourselves, forget ourselves, lose our life for the gospel's sake, that that's when we really begin to find life. Why should we have to be nice to this missionary guest that comes through here? And again, I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're doing a great job at this. And I'm, again, I'm not just saying this, but I want to encourage you to keep it up. When a, when a preacher comes in here, a missionary comes in here, they're always kind of the new guy. They're always a little, feeling a little bit awkward, like, I don't know anybody around here. It's always a little funky. The fact that you come up and you're friendly and you're kind is huge. It makes a world of difference in the experience. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Why, does, why should we be uh, contributing to causes outside of our church? Uh, let them do their thing, and we've got enough to worry about right here. Uh, let them take care of their own problems, and we've, we'll take care of our problems right here. According to the Word of God, that is not the spirit and the attitude that we in our churches are supposed to have. We are to say, hey, God has blessed us. And just like as individuals, when God blesses us, we're supposed to be a blessing to others. The same is true to the local assembly or to the body. As God blesses the body, the body should be a blessing to others. As God enables us, we need to do what we can to support ministry needs outside of our own. Whether that's financial, whether that's emotional, whether that's spiritual support by way of prayers and things of that nature... All of those elements are important in saying, hey, it's not just about what we've got going on here. I get it. That's, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming to go, man, I, there's so much to do and there's so much to think about here. And then, oh, that's right. Then there's missions. And I, I don't know exactly how to balance all that out. I just know, according to the word of God, that we're not supposed to lose sight of the part that we play in the bigger picture as a local church. How would missionaries make it to the field if churches like ours didn't think outside our walls? How would missionaries make it to the field if other churches like ours didn't help send them? 
whenever I think about Hillcrest Baptist Church, there was a point in time in which a church in the panhandle of Texas, somewhere in Pampa, had to send an old guy, well, at that point he was a young guy, but a man by the name of Bob Stewart down to El Paso, Texas to start a church in this middle of nowhere, back, like quite literally backside of the desert city in El Paso, Texas, to start a church that now my family and many other families have been able to enjoy for over 60 years. That's because some church in Pampa said, yep, we're going to send Bob Stewart to go out there and do that. I'm thankful that they did, and I'm thankful he was willing to forget himself, and I'm thankful that the church in Pampa was willing to let him go. So let's kind of make a couple of just quick applications about this. I think some of it's already pretty obvious, but first of all, as God enables us as a church, give towards ministries that are supporting the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that are engaged in the work of Christ. I mean, the obvious is missionaries, right? And that's kind of what you're doing. You know, so I know, again, you're preaching in the choir, but every time, you, you know, every year we have a missions month because more than likely either we forget about concepts like this or maybe you're somewhat new to the church or new to Christianity and you're like, why are we contributing to something that isn't going to help us here in this church? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. One of the reasons that the church is going to emphasize giving to missions and every individual member playing their part in giving to missionaries and faith promise missions is because as a church, not just a select group of people in the church, but as a church in its entirety, you are obligated to do this, to give towards worldwide causes for the cause of Christ. I should make that specific. So give to missions as individuals and as a church, whether it's missionary support, things like helping church planters, uh, that kind of stuff's a big deal. Things like, and I know you guys have been faithful to support uh, various colleges and Bible printing ministries, all those kinds of things. I mean, if it's contributing to the work of the Lord, if it can fall under that umbrella of the work of the Lord, it's part of our, I believe, obligation to say, let's do what we can do to help. Secondly, I want to point this out, that a sound and biblical strategy for accomplishing this is to regularly give to the missions fund. Now, again, I tried to make this clear earlier. They're not calling this a missions fund here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. The people were giving specifically towards uh, hungry saints in Jerusalem. But the model is something that we use in our churches to help us support missions around the world. And it is this weekly, or maybe for you, like for me personally, I get paid on a bi-weekly basis. So, I mean, I'm not necessarily putting missions money in every Sunday, but as Tisha and I get paid every couple of weeks, we have something that goes into a missions fund that we've already kind of determined at the beginning of our missions fiscal year, which for us is March. You guys, I think is starting right, right about now. So this is a sound strategy. Instead of just saying, well, you know, we've got a couple extra hundred dollars in the savings account. Let's make one big donation at one time. There is wisdom in a weekly program that over the course of the long haul makes a big difference. A sound and biblical strategy is to regularly give personal donations to the missions fund. You say, well... This is about supporting a poor church in Jerusalem. Now, we're not doing that. We're not supporting a poor church in Jerusalem. But we are giving to missions to, to sustain 
ministry needs and ministers in their families all around the world. And that is a noble and an important work. So again, Eastland Baptist Church, I just want to continue to encourage you and challenge you as God enables, do what you can to support ministry needs outside the walls of the church. This is what God has called us to do as church is. Again, I'm very blessed and very thankful to be a part of Hillcrest Baptist Church. It has been one of the great honors and joys of my life to be able to participate in that wonderful ministry. I love it. And yet, probably a week doesn't go by that I'm not somehow conscious of, okay, God's blessed us. What am I supposed to be doing with that blessing? And again, I believe that applies not only to us as individuals, but to us as a church. And I say that to you as Eastland, as I say it to myself at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Let's make sure that we, yes, we got to focus on taking care of the needs of our church, taking care of the needs of the people in our church, loving one another and reaching our community in Tulsa and El Paso respectively. But let's make sure that in the process we also remember we are one church among many. And we've got a part to play in the bigger picture. Let's just make sure that we're playing it. All right? Let's stand to our feet with heads bowed and eyes closed.